LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. Today I'm here with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And Karen Swallow Pryor, which we're very excited to have on. I followed uh, you on Twitter for, I don't know, a long time. Um, always insightful, sometimes controversial, but I enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And she's not a, she's not a dog because no. she hasn't said hi yet. <laughs> no, oh. but that was like perfectly timed. Yes, <laughs> that was that was Eva, not me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, and that is a you, you do have a warm rider, right? Yes, and a, and a German short-haired pointer. Ah, <gasps> oh, two gun dogs. Daniel. Okay, we're not gonna go down the dog. Yeah. Trail. <laughs> Both sides of my family bred hunting dogs. If you ever want to talk yeah. about either one of those dogs, I can and what they're actually yes. being used. Todd for. will just keep on going on and on and on. It's All right, amazing. so Karen, thanks for being they're on the podcast. Dogs. <laughs> You're welcome. Good to be with you. All right, so Karen, you are a uh, professor of English at Liberty University, uh, the author of a brand new book on reading. Well, came out last year, and as well as the author of booked. Literature in the Soul of Me and Fierce Convictions. And I mean, Karen, you're a prolific writer for Christianity Today, The Atlantic, Washington Post. I mean, just goes on and on and on uh, with your with your great bio. So we are just honored to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Well, it's great to be with you. Thank you. All right. So this is a little bit out of the norm because usually with first time guests, we always go to our standard five leadership questions and maybe on the second time, if they are kind of worthy of coming back (laughs) or interesting (laughs) enough to come back, we'll then go really specific. No, you know, no pressure. Wow. (laughs) We'll, we'll go, we'll go really specific into their area of expertise, but with Karen, uh, with this new book and I mean, just, Man, there, there's just like, because we do book breakdowns on the five leadership questions, we are always talking about books. We're like, wow, Karen is an expert on literature. Let's just orient this entire podcast around books and reading. So this is going to be fun. All right. So let's start with the first question. You wrote a book on reading. So Uh why? And what have you learned from reading widely? Wow. Um, how long do we have? No. Uh, <laughs> so, of course, as you mentioned, I'm a professor of English at Liberty University. Um, I just finished my 20th year teaching there. Oh, wow. um, taught, yeah, taught at the college level for 10 years before that. So I've been teaching literature a long time. And um, so I've been seeing and observing firsthand um, how students read, how other people read and how I read. And, you know, we're not getting better at it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, part of this, I mean, it's just, you know, we have had, we have lived in what's called, you know, the print age for about 500 years. I mean, it's been about that long since the printing press was invented and then things started getting printed and, and literacy grew and all of those things. And we're actually, I think we've reached the peak of that era. Uh, we've reached the digital age and we're inundated with images and uh, multimedia kinds of sensory experiences. Um, and even though we might read a lot on the internet, in tweets, on Facebook, you know, blogs, articles, I do that. Um, the art and the skill of reading books and literature 
suffers with that kind of reading and that kind of digitization of our of our the material we take in. Um, so I, you know, I have loved books my whole life and I've loved reading my whole life. I love teaching literature and I just thought, well, let, maybe we need to kind of go back to basics and, and think about what it means to read well, because once we learn how to read in, you know, kindergarten or first grade and sound out the letters and look up words in the dictionary, uh, that basic skill just stays the same. I mean, we don't, yeah learn. It doesn't require additional knowledge, but it is a skill that can be improved. It's one that we can lose. Um, and then of course, beyond just reading what's on the page is understanding and applying it. Um, and when it comes to literature, that's, that's even harder because literature is an art. Um, it's indirect. It doesn't tell you what the moral is. Um, it actually replicates real life in that sense, because we have to interpret it in the same way we have to interpret, um, you know, people and actions around us every day. So that's kind of what motivated me to write a whole book on this topic. I love that. I love that. It's, it's really interesting. So, um, so Karen, my, my third book is coming out in a few months. And I, I say that because every time I talk about it, re and it's so interesting because no one asked me this in the past few years, but just this year, people keep on responding back to, you know, we're kind of, they'll ask, what is the book about? And blah, 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 blah. And then they'll be like, so like how many people read these days? Hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. and, and I'm, I'm like speechless. Cause I'm like, I, what do you mean? I mean, I love reading. I, I mean, it, it, you know, it's just going on, but it was just interesting that they asked that question. Hmm. That's and an interesting kind of yeah. marker, right? If, that, if that's yeah. a new question that's coming up, that's an indication of, of, uh, that it's an anecdote that supports everything that the research is saying and that we're experiencing ourselves, I think. Yeah. Wow. What's really interesting is how many, how many people buy books and don't read them. <laughs> that's <gasps> what fascinates me. Um, just because they look good. I guess because they look good. What's it also what's um, what's fascinating is you saw a massive rise from a research perspective. You saw a massive rise in uh, digital books and now that's kind of flattened off. Like like um, print books are back on the rise again. Yeah, I do uh, enjoy it better. I think so. And so uh, you know, for as speaking from a you know being part of a publishing company, um, that's ex exciting stuff. I, I was going to ask, um, before we ask the, the, the second question, what do you think of, um, Mortimer Adler's, you know, classic from the 1940s on how to read a book? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I drew on Adler, um, not directly, but I read that book so long ago when I was first uh, beginning to teach reading and writing. Um, and it's a, it's a great book. I think it's, um, you know, a lot, I think it's, it's, there are a few simple things in it that can be drawn out and, um, and the book itself, uh, is, it kind of is a little longer than it needs to be. <laughs> Which, yeah, okay. you know, no, forgive me for saying no, that because, either. you know, but, um, it's a great, you know, it's been so long since I've read it. I, I've internalized a lot and, and his yeah. basic ideas of, and I talk about this and I'm reading well of engaging with the text through writing and making notes and underlining all of that. I fully support. So I think I read him so long. He's just, he's just, you know, part of my DNA now. So uh, yeah. it's definitely a book I would recommend. I love that. I love that. So as you've read so widely, and I'm sure you've probably read 
more widely than most of our listeners, because uh, just by virtue of you being a, a professor on, you know, English lit, uh, what, what have you learned, do you think, um, just from the discipline of reading so widely? Well, this is something I, I talk about a little bit and on reading well, and actually a lot more in my uh, my first book, which you already mentioned, Booked Literature in the Soul of Me. I mm. actually um, believe in uh, what John Milton, the 17th century Puritan um, poet uh, and writer, talked, talked about um, in a pamphlet that he wrote about well, essentially free speech. He didn't call it that, but at that, it was the precursor to what we now call um, free speech. And he was writing to his, you know, his fellow Puritans um, who were then in control of uh, British Parliament uh, and wanting to censor all of this newly developing, this new print material that just kept being churned out from the printing presses. And Milton argued for reading promiscuously. Um, and that word just meant, you know, indiscriminate mixing. Uh, and so he, you know, he was not afraid of reading works that would even be considered heretical. I mean, as a Puritan, he opposed the sort of censorious spirit spirit that he associated with the Catholic Church and said, you know, basically drew on biblical principles to say that we have to, you know, try uh, ideas and reason about ideas. And if we believe what we believe simply because our pastor told us is the truth, then it might as well be our heresy because we don't know why we believe what we believe. Um, and so I, you know, I try to read in a discerning way. I, I mean, I don't want to read garbage and I don't have time to waste. Um, but I try to read, um, and, you know, I, I try to read a lot of different kinds of literature. I have my own preferences and tastes and my own, um, but literature that I like the most, but I try to read beyond that and beyond my own perspective and my own experience. Um, but with that said, I mean, there's a, certainly a lot that I don't read. And I'm not I'm not someone who counts the number of books that I read every year or keeps track of them. Um, there are lots of genres that I that I don't read in. There's only so much time, but uh, I just try yeah. I try to read as widely as I can. That's good. I can't remember the quote oh, exactly, but, you know, basically um, something like, you know, you're never going to have new ideas if you are reading the same sources as everybody else, if you're drawing from the same sources as everybody else. And man, I just love the idea of that. I, that reading promiscuously, first of all, someone listening who has a screen printer, please make a shirt, please make us a t-shirt. <laughs> I wear a size large since that's one lifeway Plaza. Be sure the graphic is great. Read promiscuously. I think that would make a great t-shirt. Should be for sale. In I second that. <laughs> um, oh, man. Okay, I should probably move on to a new question or Daniel have an insurrection. All right. Uh, what does it mean to read well? Well, uh, I happen to have written a whole book on that. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it really, it, it in the book, I talk about it in two ways. I mean, reading well is sort of in the sort of literal way is reading to comprehend the text and and understand it. Um, which again, we go back to Mortimer Adler and and his his tips for underlining and noting and marking and engaging with the text. Those are all things that help us to comprehend and understand the text well. 
But beyond that is the idea of not just, you know, decipher, de- deciphering the meaning of, of the words on the page, but actually interpreting and applying that meaning to our lives. And, um, and not just in a moralistic way, like, you know, we read Aesop's fables and get to the moral at the end and say, oh, okay, this is the life lesson. But because I write about um, mainly fiction uh, and novels, but I write about the way that reading literary works and literary fiction um, enlarges our perspective. It exposes us to experiences and ideas um, that we would never be able to experience otherwise, whether it's people in different times or places, that it's actually a practice in cultivating virtue because we get to sort of experience these events and conflicts right along with the character. And so we use our mind in the same way that we would if we're listening to a friend tell us a story or thinking about something in our own life, reading actually, our mind replicates those problem solving and critical thinking skills um, that we have to use in, in real life. And so when we read well, we're actually practicing being human. That's okay. So that's, that's a really interesting way to put it because I mean, would you say that, that let's say you have a story that's been made into a movie and watching the movie instead of reading the book, would you say that, that, that ability to practice virtue then becomes absent that you're unable to do that when it's, when it's a, when it's a movie? That's a really good question. So, um, and boy, that, so that gets into sort of the, the different nature of words on the page and images on a screen. Yeah. Um, and I think that watching a, a good film can do a lot of what reading a story can do, but there's still a difference between word and image and image is less, um, mediated. It's just simply there before our eyes. But when we read words on the page, we actually have to translate um, first those those lines and then those letters and then those words. So there's actually more translation or more mediation involved. And so by its very nature, written words require us to think abstractly and more uh, in a more linear fashion than just these images that might be um, supported by dramatic music in the background and so forth. We're just going, it's just requires more uh, critical thinking to read words on the page than to absorb images on a screen. And I wonder how much of it is also, you also have the idea of, Hey, when you are watching a movie or a TV show, maybe you're going to be distracted because you're going to have your phone or you're going to be, uh, there's just going to be a lot of other things that, that can distract you versus reading. If you're reading, you can't be texting and reading at the same time. I mean, you could, Mm -hmm. but you Mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to concentrate. (laughs) You wouldn't be able to retain or pay attention to what you're working on. So maybe there's just a, that extra level of concentration Mm. uh, that reading has. Yeah, no, that's certainly true now. I mean, you literally can't be texting and reading at the exact same time, uh, whereas you can be listening to a movie um, and and texting. So, you know, again, that's a, a, a newer kind of um, level of multitasking that exists now with with our these this omnipresence of our of our phones, which I think most of us struggle with, including me. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. So uh, you talked about virtue. We're going to get our last question. We're going to revisit that whole idea about virtue and reading. Uh, But before we get to that, we have a couple more questions. So the third question for today is, um, I mean, you've taught literature for literally three decades. So when you are, because the five leaders. I started when I was five. I started when I was five. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So so when it comes to church leaders who are predominantly who listen to this podcast, uh, what, I mean, speak to the church leaders that are listening. Uh, What benefit does reading literature have to leading? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of this I do um, talk about and cite in, in the book. There is just so much research um, that shows how reading literary fiction, so specifically literary fiction, which is different from nonfiction, obviously, but even different from a beach read or, you know, a, a mystery thriller, but literary fiction that uses words to replicate sort of the ambiguousness of human experience by not spelling everything out for you actually um, cultivates empathy. Um, It expands our perceptiveness, our our experiences, as I talked about before. And so I think that um, by drawing on, by reading literature and then having our perception and and our empathy expanded, it certainly applies. It, that's something that can help us as we lead other people, as we talk to people and try to solve problems. We've practiced critical thinking. We've practiced um, expanded perspectives. And we've, you know, if, we, if we've read well in the way that I talk about, we've cultivated the virtues that, that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and so, you know, I hear constantly from pastors and from other leaders who will tell me that they, you know, they read a lot of nonfiction, they read a lot of theology, maybe some philosophy, biographies, and those are all wonderful things to read. But I hear from a lot of leaders who really don't take the time or see the benefit of reading literary fiction. And I would encourage them um, to add that to their reading diet. It's a very different kind of reading. And it can be challenging for those who are used to just kind of reading quickly to get the main idea as opposed to like being absorbed in an imaginative world, um, which is not our own for some period of time, because that's what we have to do every time we listen to other people. We have to be absorbed in their world, which is not ours. Okay, I have a confession. So you you probably don't know this, but... I'm one of those people. Like I am the people. I knew the it. No. Know. <laughs> they know. They're like, Todd doesn't watch TV. He thinks it's me. He uh, doesn't read fiction. But before the podcast started, I told you, because one of the books that you um, uh, outline in your your, your book are, is A Tale of Two Cities by Dickinson. Uh, and so... I recently started that with with my son. So what has been really interesting, and you will think this is torture, so I'm so sorry. Uh, but he's read Grit by Duckworth. He's Your read, son. Yes. He's 10, and he's just, I mean, he did that earlier. But, like, I had him, I had him reading business books. I'm so sorry. Um, but in the last month alone, he, he and I together have read Robinson Crusoe, um, Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, ten, uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, um, Moby Dick, and now um, we're now into 
A Tale of Two Cities. And here's my confession. I actually have really enjoyed it. And after he has gone to bed, I sometimes read a couple of chapters ahead because I can't. I can't stop. <laughs> no, you didn't. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I did. Um, and it's all because, it, you know, he goes into the study and up on the bookshelf is, a you know, this classic set hmm. of, you know, great books. And so he's, you know, he's saying, oh, I want to I want to do this one or I want to do that one. Uh, and, and we've kind of knocked them out that way. And I will be really sad. Um when when we're done knocking those out, I have to find some some new ones. But the then I remember how great it was because we started with Robinson Crusoe because I remembered mm. that was a, that's an early read for a lot of people, and just the 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 magic that is there um, when you do that. And, and to be completely honest, I'm so glad we did because that's that's what kind of sparked that. It's special to read, you know, with with your child, but it's also really uh, fun for me and, you know, really yep. does engage in a different way. So, so Karen, you had talked about, obviously we're, we're going to get to, um, how reading well develops virtue. And you had just talked about this idea of empathy. Wouldn't to be real, you know, Frank, uh, to be really frank <laughs> about this, like wouldn't reading like a John Grisham or, a Stephen King or, you know, a biography or, you know, the Hunger Games, you know, any of those kind of like, wouldn't that also develop empathy as well? Well, it, what the research shows is that um, the and some of these other kinds of works, I mean, there is no bright line between what's literary fiction and what's non-literary fiction. Um, I mean, it's, it's a form of art. So there's obviously some subjectivity and debate, but what seems to make a difference is the uh, amount or level of interpretation required by the reader. So, okay. you know, if, if you, you, you have to interpret because everything isn't spelled out for you or because you you know, if you're, you're seeing things from more than one perspective or point of view, um, then that requires the kind of interpretation that develops skills of empathy. So a work that's just sort of flat and, you know, suspense, not those are the, when I run, I have to listen to things that are simple. So I might listen to a suspense novel. So the only thing really that's going on is the plot. Um, it's not really ex there isn't much about much, much that I have to interpret. I mean, I guess if there's a murder mystery, I'm, maybe that's a puzzle I'm trying to figure out. But in terms of interpreting human experience and um, pers perspectives, um, you know, non-literary fiction doesn't quite require that from us. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I get that. All right. So before we get to our next question, just a brief word from our sponsor. So what do you think the most common struggle for pastors in marriage ministry really is these days? Well, according to LifeWay Research, the most common struggle is a lack of time. And the second is a lack of resources. And then overall, it's feeling unequipped. And that's probably not a surprise to those listening, but it's something that's really important to understand. The health of our churches is directly related to the health of its marriages. And that's why LifeWay created WooMarriage.com. It's a brand new tool that provides Christ-centered marriage coaching for every couple in your church. It's backed by research, and it's designed with your church in mind. 
Woo Marriage features video courses taught from Christ-centered perspectives, and the courses provide practical help for communication, managing finances, handling conflict, and much more. There's even a course for church leaders on there. And the best part is it's easy. With one simple click, you can assign courses, start coaching, and start winning at work and home. Whether you need to prepare couples for their marriage, strengthen marriages, or restore relationships, you'll have an affordable, flexible solution right at your fingertips. Try it for free for one month with the offer code LEADERSHIP. And when you go to WooMarriage.com, that's the offer code LEADERSHIP at checkout. Go to WooMarriage.com slash free trial. And now let's get back to our episode. So you've in you encourage individuals to read slowly. Um, why? And then how do we best do this? Well, I, the reason why I emphasize reading slowly so much is because I think in our present culture, there's this habit that we have of reading quickly. I mean, of course, we do everything quickly, whether you know it's eating or uh, driving. Um, we live in a very hurried age. And much of the reading that we do do, as I talked about earlier, um, if it's on the internet or on our screens or laptops, and it's a, an article or blog, I mean, the, the research that has been done shows that we actually move our eyes in a different way as we scan the page and, and follow this pattern where we're looking for keywords, topic sentences, not necessarily taking every word in. And we also, when we read that way, we use a different part of our brain. We use the frontal ro- lobe rather than um, the deeper parts of the brain where things are you know, stored for a longer period of time. So it's a habit that even I have gotten into. And so we have to be more intentional um, to in reading more slowly and taking it in. And especially when we're talking about literary art, um, like a poem, for example, I mean, you can't skim a poem and really get what a poem is doing. Mm. And Mm. even literary fiction, if it's, if it's not poetry, it's still, is poetic if it's well-written. And so to appreciate the craft and uh, the layers of meaning that words have, we have to read slowly. And of course, when we're reading a a blog post or a newspaper article, that's not the kind of language that's being used. So, you know, form and function sort of go together. So, but we still have to resist that urge when reading literary works um, to read quickly and, and to skim. Okay. Okay, would you would you say that's is it, that's particular to literary fiction? Then, I mean, what do you think about in leadership books um, or or other more nonfiction uh, types of books? I mean, what questions do you bring to them, and how do you approach reading those differently? Sure. Well, it often depends on um, the writing style and the depth of the material. So when reading philosophy, I read pretty slowly <laughs> um, because mm. um, because it, the concepts might be hard to grasp or the writing might be opaque um, and I have to stop and ponder. And so I do want to, to underline. Um, but there are other you know books that are meant to be to be quick reads. Um, but Again, it depends on, I mean, I tend not to read anything like that. So when I'm reading a book, I'm almost always trying to cultivate that habit of reading slowly and, t- and taking things in. Um, so it does depend on, on the book and your level of comfort 
with the material or familiarity. And so it, it can change, but I think it's just more the idea of making sure we're grasping everything rather than skimming to because it's a race, because it's not. Okay. Okay. So, so for a lot of our listeners who will uh, lean more toward leadership books and nonfiction, I mean, what advice would you give them then as an English professor? Okay. If, if the majority of their reading is leadership or nonfiction type of books, I mean, what, what advice would you give them to approach on how to approach those books maybe a little bit differently? Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I've actually never read a leadership book myself. <laughs> so, um, I, are you, you, you must've read, I mean, there I, must've been something. I, I mean, Ecclesiastes. Is that like, that's, <laughs> my, my that's awesome. <laughs> that, then, that's then my favorite, I guess. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I should never say never, but I honestly cannot remember anything like that, um, that I might've read. So I don't know how they are written. If they're written okay. like most Christian self-help books, then maybe they could be skimmed. Um, but, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> That's yeah. Um, so, well, again, I guess maybe take notes and underline things. And if it's really not yeah, that yeah. challenging to you, then then read some more literature, read some read some literary fiction, because I think, again, it's not a direct it's not like, oh, you will learn this lesson that you can apply, but you will expand mm. your kind of human understanding and vision and empathy and that those all translate eventually into good leadership skills. No, that's good. I mean, it's it's it was fun. Um, I'm, I've haven't finished my way through on reading well, actually, after uh, cracking it open. And as I began to read it, I was like, you know what? I think like I personally, I don't read literary fiction. I mean, <laughs> after graduating university, I was like, okay, I'm done with my English class now <laughs> to leadership books. And this. I mean, just being completely honest, but, but in reading your book, I was like, actually, and in having this podcast with you, I was like, actually, I think I am going to begin reading literary fiction again and then go back to your book and see your thoughts on that because it's just one of those things that I just haven't done in a really long time. So thank you for that. I'm going to take that as a challenge. You know, a good metaphor that I like to use is like going to an art museum. If you go to an art museum, you don't go to an art museum to see what a bowl of fruit looks like. Even though there might be many paintings of bowls of fruit, you go there, you go there to see the craft and the art and the perspective and the technique of the painter who painted the bowl of fruit, right? I mean, it's, it's a very, so reading literary works is similar. You're not reading just to get the information. You're reading to, to engage in the art of, of language and human experience. Yeah. No, that's it good. is. I mean, so it was a challenge to me because I consider myself well-read. Um, and um, I told I told Daniel, I think yesterday at lunch, I was like, man, I've there's about half of these that I haven't read. And I would have thought, I would have thought I would have read most. Once I went through the, I went through the first four and I was like, check, 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 check. Oh, wait. Uh, no, no. Okay. Yeah. That one. Um, but you know, you, there are, uh, there are basically 13, 12, 13 
uh, books that you kind of walk through and lay out the virtue uh, next to it. And mm-hmm. so I really was drawn to the way that that, that was done. Yeah, so, so talk about that. Uh, in, in the book, you talk about the cardinal virtues, the theological virtues, and the heavenly virtues, and you give examples. I mean, every chapter is in, in one of those categories, and, and you talk about the virtue and, and give an example of literary fiction that elaborates on that. Give, it, give us some, some background around or a little bit more around the idea of virtue and and then we'll ask a follow-up question from there. Sure. Um, I mean, this was actually the way that I structured this book with the literary work, each literary work being centered on a particular virtue was something that unfolded as I began the writing process. It wasn't even my original plan. Okay. Um, but as I began thinking about, you know, how I wanted to write about the way that literature can improve our lives, and there are many, many different ways that can do that, um, I started thinking about the virtues um, and and the way that we practice virtue. You know, we can practice virtue a number of ways, and literature is one of them. And so, I just ended up. Um, you know, it was kind of a. I had to choose choose the virtues, and then choose works of literature that I thought could um, illuminate those virtues. And um, so, I had to research, do a great deal of research, actually into. Uh, moral philosophy, which covers the virtues, um, and select those virtues that I that I wanted to talk about, and so it, it's kind of a book that covers those two subjects. So I, I'm hoping that it interests those who are interested in moral philosophy and, and a little bit of church history, since I draw on um, on Aquinas and uh, Augustine uh, as well as uh, as Aristotle. Um, so Christian philosophy and um, Greek philosophy, and uh, and then talk about it in terms of literature. So I think it's a it's a good marriage of just of theory and practice um, through the works of literature. And yeah. Well, that's yeah. good. So so in your in your in the first chapter of your book, uh, you talk about prudence, the car, one of the cardinal virtues, and and you talk about the history of Tom Jones, uh, Tom Jones, and and in that. Uh, particular chapter, you talk about the difference between speculative wisdom and practical wisdom. And and then you give this example about male leaders not meeting alone with a woman. So can you give us some background around uh, just kind of walk through that prudence, speculative wisdom, sure. versus practical, and then address that example? Because I thought that was uh, fascinating. I mean, that, that, that was kind of like a sucker punch. I was, I was not expecting you to go there as you were talking about speculative and practical wisdom. I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's really, like, that's okay. I want to know more about that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, to back up a little bit. So according to Aristotle, um, every virtue is a mean or moderation between um, two vices, a, 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 an excess and a deficiency. And so um, prudence is, Prudence is considered the queen of the virtues. It's required, you know, you have to have that before you can have any of the other virtues. Um, And you actually can't, you know, all the virtues are connected. So you can't actually have, you know, something can't be courageous if it lacks in any of the other virtues, for example. And so prudence, which is certainly, that's an old fashioned word. We don't hear much about it. It's basically Mm -hmm. applied wisdom, you know, and so... (sighs) It's kind of a pet peeve of mine that in this uh, 
church culture and social media culture, you know, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody thinks that they know what is best, including me. Okay. But, um, and so you will often hear these sort of platitudes of people, you know, people will give about what's, what's wise, what's the, you know, what is the, what is wisdom in a certain situation. And yet there are so many variables in a search in a situation that what is wise in the abstract can often not be prudent in the situation on the ground. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, I, I, in the past couple of years for different reasons, <laughs> um, this idea of what's called the Billy Graham rule or the Mike Pence rule about not meeting with women alone has, has come up and been discussed and debated. And a lot of the, the leaders that I know who are usually male um, will, you know, just sort of spout off like it's, oh, I'm never alone with a woman and this Billy Graham rule. And it sounds so wise in theory, yet when you think about all the specific situations on the ground in real life, there are so many situations where that would not be the prudent rule to have. Um, it just, for me, it served as a good example of how lofty theoretical wisdom can often not only be not prudent, but it can even be destructive or harmful in a given situation. So again, prudence is something that's tricky and difficult. It, it picks up, as I say, where rules leave off. It's really easy to have rules. Um, and, you know, I'm all for, you know, I believe in absolute truth. Don't get me wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But oftentimes what, what prudence is, 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 recognizing all the variables in a situation and doing what's wise in that situation. Yeah. So talk to us about, um, what, what's going on in that situation okay. then? Uh, Cause I, you just, you put it so well in the book and I'll just read this quote that I've underlined. Another example is a rule. Amongst, I like that, Daniel, you're applying. You're <laughs> yeah. Good. That's good. Uh, <laughs> another example is a rule among some male leaders, not to meet alone with a woman, which sounds moral and wise, but generally becomes impossible to practice without falling into other er errors, such as disrespect or discrimination. Yet many today assume it's prudence and adopt the rule without examination. So that whole without examination mm. uh, stood out to me because mm -hmm. it was like, well, if Billy Graham did it, then I mean, who's <laughs> better than Billy Graham on virtue? So, and I'm, a, so, I'm, I'm just like Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's that. But when you talk, when you said disrespect and discrimination, I mean, as a female leader, I mean, talk to us sure. from your perspective when, um, a, a, a man says well, Billy Graham rule okay. and refuses or, or, or applies that to you. <laughs> sure. So, I mean, of course, you know, I, I, I'm in a situation where I'm a professional. I'm, I am a professor in a large university. Um, I would not be able to, I'll just go down the list and you tell me when to stop. Um, I would not be able to do my job if I could not stop into my um, chair's office and discuss a problem with him for five or 10 minutes, you know, without an appointment and a secretary there, or talk to half of my students in my office alone, like about his paper when he get, comes back. If I've got to have a chaperone there, that becomes awkward. Um, you know, I, I had an experience when um, I left a meeting um, in one part of our campus and had had to go back to another part of campus and another of my colleagues was whose office was near mine was and you know said do you want to ride I, because you know it's 
traffic is, is impossible on any university campus as it is on ours and, you know, offered a ride and there was a very awkward, um, you know, decline of the invitation. And I suddenly realized like, oh, oh, something that wasn't about sex just became about sex. <laughs> um, mm. And um, yeah. But, you know, and, and even, you know, in traveling, you know, I've, I've spoken at a, at a conference, been a female speaker there. And then when I was given or had going back to the airport, had to rearrange my schedule so as not to be alone with the student driver. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so it can just. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's I mean, <laughs> pr- yeah. Pr- prudence is recognizing the situation now if you're if you're a rural pastor who's out in a country church somewhere and, and you you you're, you and your secretary are there alone all day and you know there may then maybe and and or you've got there may be some principles that you do want to follow um, but it's not the same in every situation and so prudence is really recognizing all of those variables um that, you know, taking a woman out to dinner, um, who is not your wife, taking your secretary out to dinner one night is very, very different from me stopping in to talk to my chairman about a scheduling issue or having a student in my office to talk about a paper. And of course we have, yeah. we do all of the things like, you know, have windows on our office doors and, and all of those things that can be done, but it's still not following the rule of never meeting alone with someone of the opposite sex. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, thank you. Thank you for elaborating on that and walking through it because I think it's helpful and healthy for male leaders to look at it from the other perspective, from the, from the female's perspective, but also look at this as, hey, it's, it, there is this sense of, of speculative wisdom versus practical wisdom and what prudence looks like in each and every one of those situations. So thank you for that. No, oh, you're you're welcome. Thank you for asking. It's a it's a tricky and important topic for it especially is tricky, for Christians. Yeah. Yes. It is. Okay. So that brings us to the end of the podcast. But Karen, I was I, I love I absolutely love the jacket cover of your book on reading well. Oh so good. So well done. So is that supposed to be you and your dog? Um <laughs> well <laughs> um it's you know the artist who did this Ned Bustard he's amazing he's an amazing artist and I was so blessed to have um his uh, talents put to uh work for my book. Um it's actually supposed to be a man in that chair but <laughs> So it's, it's, it's not me. Um, and it's a black lab, not a German short hair, but they do look similar. Okay. Um, so we, yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> I have a Pichon Maltese at home and, oh, hey, and just, even a dog, okay, hey, man. don't, don't even, don't even. Okay. <laughs> you know how many people we've convinced to get dogs because they've watched our Pichon Maltese. And for all of our listeners who do not know or have never seen the cover <laughs> you need to. Yeah, really no, 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 it's, it's really cool. Oh. But just to let you know, I, I was not this like you cannot see all you see is the person's hand, right? It's right, with a pencil. Celeste, everyone thinks, like, oh my goodness, Daniel, what are you trying to say? <laughs> just offended. No, 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 it was, I mean, in fairness to you, in fairness to you, we did try yeah. to come up with sort of a gender neutral cover that would appeal to men and women alike, and I think. Think we succeeded <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> apparently but that's a pretty mu- awesome. that's a pretty muscular forearm there <laughs> it is you know i i was just <laughs> hey when you're holding books for okay. hours at a time that's true that's true up some muscular that's how forearm. i lift weights you know 
classic tomes. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, okay. Well, Karen, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you for having me. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. Have you listened to the Group Answers podcast with Chris Surratt and Brian Daniel recently? As a part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network family, they've recently covered topics like building a growth track, building a spiritual pathway, and how to write sermon-based studies. Just look up Group Answers on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today. Thanks again for listening in, and we'll catch you next time.